Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Inner Fight Podcast. Thank you so much for making the decision to join me today. This is episode number 733, and we are nearing in on the end of the year. Just a couple of weeks to go, and maybe just one more podcast for this year. I figured out that this one and one more. I figured out that people probably don't need to hear my voice over the festive period or as they prepare themselves for the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022. Today's show is all about a trip that I made in November along with two of the Interfight Endurance coaches, Tom Walker and Rob Foster to Iten. I, we've had some really interesting feedback on this trip and both Tom and I actually wrote quite lengthy articles on it. Mine probably more lengthy than Tom's. And then Rob Jones and Tom on the Run Strong podcast actually recorded a show where Rob was asking Tom all about it and he sort of went over it. However, as the weeks have gone on, I've thought about the trip more and I've also thought about the fact that I'm absolutely 100% sure that a number of you probably don't have the inclination. You could have made the time, but you maybe don't have really the inclination to read. I think it was about six and a half thousand words, my piece, article, small dissertation, call it whatever you will, which for me, summed up and gave some of my reflections on the trip to Iten. Therefore, I thought that it would be helpful to those that do not wish to read that and are listeners of the show that I put some of the thoughts into this show. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. Yes, I'm just here on my own to talk about it. And I want to kick it off with a little bit of background as to why. Why did we decide to go to Iten in Kenya? That's where Iten is. For those of you that don't know yet, I will describe the town in a little bit more detail as we go along. However, the background on it is, is that for a number of years, Kenyan, I would call them actually from pretty short distance. They're not great over the very short distances, so 100 meters. So it would be more middle distance runners from this particular area in Kenya have really racked up an incredible amount of accolades in middle distance running. And it would go from anything from around 5K up to marathon, which for some of you, marathon is not middle distance running, it's long distance running. However, for me, (laughs) marathons are still quite short and quite quick, and I definitely consider them middle distance. Although, which will make you laugh, a lot of the Kenyans think that the fact that I do long distance running or ultra running, I'm actually not really all mentally there. They were like, there is no way we would run any further than a marathon. And actually quite a lot of them run sort of 10Ks. I ran one day with a 3,000 meter female runner. So they're really in that 3,000 up to the marathon. And for a number of years, they have absolutely dominated that sport. 
littered with medals. Just recently, if you take the last marathon, I think it was the last marathon before recording this in Abu Dhabi for the males, I believe four of the top five were Kenyans. We also saw in 2017, in more recent times, and this has been happening for a number of years, but we also saw in 2017, Elud Kipchoge's first attempt on the Breaking 2 project that they ran with Nike, where on a car circuit, Formula 1 circuit in Monza, they attempted to run sub two hours. They actually failed to do that, but then went back to Vienna in 2019, where Kipchoge ran sub two hours for a marathon, which to give that a little bit of context, I think this is still applicable because I think treadmills are still limited at around 20 Ks an hour. But if you went to your local gym and put your treadmill on the absolute maximum it would go, you need to maintain that pace for two hours and you're still a little bit off what Kipchoge's world record of 159.40, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, 40-something. That creates a little bit of perspective as to how fast he ran. And yes, there is a little bit of a difference. I think the fastest outside of that is just over the two-hour mark. I think he's run a 2.01 in Berlin. However, we're talking not far off it these guys are able to run without that specific setup that Kipchoge had that day where he had, there's actually a great documentary which I watched a few months ago on Emirates, which is all about how they put it together, this Y formation, aerodynamics, and, and the whole teams, the pacing teams that they had with him. Needless to say, Kenyan middle distance running has created its own legacy across the last sort of 30 to 40 years, to a point where a number of researchers have actually also made a trip to Kenya and to the area, the Rift Valley area, the region, and specifically to the town of Iten, to try and figure out what these guys do differently and how they are so fast. There's been books written on it. There was a book by a gentleman called, and I... I'm really terrible at pronouncing his name. The book was Running with the Kenyans and the gentleman's name was Andrahanand Finn, I believe. Andrahanand Finn. We'll just, it, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? When, when you get longer names, if you just sort of speed them up and it all runs together, you kind of get it right. Andrahanand Finn, like I know it perfectly now. He wrote a book called Running with the Kenyans um, where he gives more of his insights into actually what he found. We were to learn during our trip that a number of researchers from various sports science institutions around the world had actually been to the Rift Valley and to attend to try and figure out what these guys do differently. Is it the food? Is it the altitude? There's also talk or there was talk of a running gene and is there such a gene as the running gene? And incredibly, and this is kind of what blows my mind a little bit, that someone has funded a research project into trying to figure that out. Same thing went to trying to figure out what these guys eat. Is it this thing 
called ugali, which is basically maize, ground maize mixed with water and salt. It's really quite tasteless, but it's, it's incredibly cheap. And this is what these guys sort of work with. And they took, in one research product, I think they took ugali and fed it to, to different athletes, but the ugali had to actually be mixed in Iten and it had to be used in, with Iten water and all these, all these quite complicated theories to try and figure out why these guys are so dominant. So for, and then there's another book as well where a gentleman who, who actually I spoke to about a year ago, Shane Benzies, um, I was introduced to him through a friend who actually organized the race that I did in Kenya in 2019. And Shane has spent a lot of time in both Ethiopia and also in Kenya, really just not trying to figure out why, but more educate himself around running and look at these runners and go, okay, this, they are the fastest. Now, what, what really makes them the fastest that we can learn from? So rather than going there with, with the sole purpose of coming back and saying, Kenyans are the fastest because they live at altitude, or Kenyans are the fastest because he's sort of taken a more holistic look as to how humans run and what the most efficient way of running is. Very interesting book, and it's called The Lost Art of Running, which if there are a couple of books, if you're, if you're into this and you want to learn more, obviously there's a lot on the internet if you, if you want to sort of research around that. But those two books, Andrahan Finn's book, Running with the Kenyans, and also Shane Benzie's book, The Lost Art of Running, are two really good books. And I'd actually read these books. I'd only read Shane Benzie's book after, before I spoke to him because he'd agreed to chat to me in sort of early 2020. And on his email, I realized that he, he had a book. On his email signature, I realized that he had this book called The Lost Art of Running. And I thought, well, this guy's going to give me a little bit of time to chat to me. I'm going to respect him by first knowing a little bit about him, but definitely by, by reading this book. So I read his book in start of 2020. I think I read Running with the Kenyans maybe before that. And really, a lot of the purpose behind this trip was having studied it a little bit more and obviously having an interest in running and having seen Kenyans be, I mean, 2017 is, is quite recent, but they've been dominant for, for a number of years. I was actually quite interested to, to personally go and have a look, not for the secret, but just to see what this environment is like. And really, after I spoke to Shane in, as I said, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, he gave me a lot of inspiration to, he said, yeah, mate, just go there and, 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 and have a look and get a feel for the place. He said, you might be able to run with a few of them. You might not be able to see how you go. He said, I'll tell you now, a lot of, and, and, and he said it quite straightforward, he said a lot of white guys who are called by the Africans as Muzungus think they're going to show up and they're going to find a magic formula. He said, you're not. He said, but if you go with open, eye, open eyes, open ears, and a little bit, I think one of the things he said was sort of, you know, just a little bit of an open mindset around this, that whatever's there is there and you need to take it in, then you'll have a really good time. And that kind of motivated me a lot. So obviously, as we all know, the restrictions that we've been facing over the last 18 months literally only made this trip possible in November of this year. And I spoke to the guys and I said, would you like to go? Let's go and have a look. And of course, super interested in running, super interested in endurance sports. They were very keen. 
And Rob Foster had actually been there in 2019. And this is actually what made our trip quite a lot, I, I would say almost easier or gave us a little bit of an inroad and unopened some doors so that we had more access to what we had access to is that in 1975, Rob Foster's father actually moved to this, and it's still quite a small town of a 10, just to create some perspective around really where it is. So you fly into Nairobi, which if, you've, if you're going from Dubai, it's not very far at all. It's about a five-hour flight. I think from the UK, it's about a nine-hour flight. And we had a six-hour layover in Nairobi. That's just because the flights don't fly very frequently to a smaller, it is actually an international airport in Eldoret. From Eldoret, it's about an hour drive to Iten. You can go from Nairobi to Iten in what they call matatus, which are literally minibuses, fit as many people in as you can and, and, and stop about 3,000 times. Apparently, it's about an eight-hour drive. We decided to, to fly, and you drive into this town, which now is still very small. It's probably about two kilometers in length and has one main road going through it and has housing on each side. I imagine it was even smaller than that in 1975 when Rob Foster's father first moved over there. He moved over there, he was a teacher and there was a school which continues to be one of the best schools in Kenya called St. Patrick's School. It's a boarding school and it now has, we learn, over 1,500 students in it. And as I said, it's one of the best schools in, in the country. And he worked there for, he was on a two-year contract. And during the second year, so after he'd been there a year, into the second year, he was joined by Brother Colin McConnell. Brother Colin McConnell came from Ireland and, sorry, Brother Colin O'Connell, I'll get his name right, came from Ireland, and he was more of a missionary teacher. But he enjoyed what, what Foster's father had put in place, and he took on the role of the athletics program when in 1976. And, and funnily, he's still there now. We're, we're unbelievably privileged, in a way, to be joined by him one night for dinner. And he didn't really have much of an athletics background. And one of the things that has come from this trip or from a lot of what I've seen, listened to, and read, there are a couple of things that play into the favor of these Kenyan runners. One of them is actually how they're built. Their torsos are a little bit shorter and their legs are a little bit longer and they're incredibly lean, which, because they're quite light, enables them to, to sort of, well, it's quite different than carrying 90 kilos around. So there's, there's, there's kind of, yes, how they're built. And there's also, I think there's two other factors, or there's a number of other factors, but there's one other, or two other clear factors here. One of them is actually all of their running in a 10 is at, it's about 2,300 meters. And if you've been following through or if you follow the journey through, through my Instagram or you've seen some of the stuff I've written since, they also always run on, and it's literally, 
I mean, now they have some roads, but I imagine in 75, when, when Mr. Foster and, and, and Brother Colin were there, there was probably only these, they're almost like mud roads. I call them the red carpet, and it's kind of known as the red carpet to a lot of people as well, which is incredibly uneven and incredibly undulating. So it's, it's, it's never really flat. And that, when you translate that, and you bring these guys back down to sea level, the amount of oxygen that they're able to get into their lungs and into their bodies at sea level is incredibly different to that that they're getting in at 2,000, 2,300 meters. And the fact that most of these races or most of the marathons, especially the fast ones or where we're, we're seeing these record times, these super quick times run, are, at, are, f are, are on incredibly flat courses. Now, there are a lot of marathon courses around the world that actually do undulate slightly. Some of the big ones do. But a lot of them where we see really fast runs, it's completely flat. So these guys are running up and down on the red carpet, never flat, never even, and then they literally get to come and run on tarmac, which is completely flat and at sea level. So that's definitely, the environment is definitely something that's that really does play into their favor. So Tom and Rob and I hopped, as I said, from Dubai to Nairobi. It's about a four and a half to five hour flight. And we went really with a completely open mind. We just wanted to see what was going on. I love looking at high-performing athletes, high-performing human beings, how they do things. And I guess I'm a little bit nerdy in, in this regard that I look at how people behave. I look a lot about about their body language, how they listen, what they talk or how they talk, what they say when they talk, how they behave in their training, everything. I, I've, I've been in, in sort of a lot of situations. I, I remember sharing change rooms with, with the England team, with the All Blacks in, in Rugby Sevens during the World Cup that I played in and, and really just looking at how these guys go about things. So I took that geeky side of me and, and really had that head on as we went over to a 10 with not really any expectations. I didn't really know, I didn't, and I think this is one of the things that's, that's killing us a lot. I think if we expect too much, then, or if we try to create pictures in our mind of what it might be like, then we're always gonna have some, some conflict. So I actually had no idea. We booked a hotel, which was about 100 dirhams a night. I'm not sure you could call it a hotel. And I, I knew that it'd have a bed in it, so we were ready to rock and roll. And somewhere around 14 hours after we, left from Dubai because of that six-hour layover in Nairobi, we got there. And we were visited in that afternoon by a gentleman called Ian Kiproni, who is the assistant of Brother Colum O'Connell, who is now about 70-something. And Ian coaches just, just a handful of athletes. They, they've been doing this for an incredibly long time. Brother Colum told us the first athletes he took to the Olympics were in 1984. So through the 80s, 90s, and up until today, he's been taking Kenyan athletes to world championships, Olympics, and, and, and winning on a number of levels. I think he's, I mean, he's now got the name of the godfather of Kenyan running or the godfather of running and is, is recognized globally as one of the best running coaches that's ever lived. And Ian is his assistant, but is running quite a lot of the programs. And Brother Colum sort of hooked us up with Ian. So he came around to see us and, you know, he said, what do you guys want to do this week? And we said, well, we'd just like to look, listen, learn, run. 
and have some fun. And I think you could tell, and he told, he told us this later as we met him again at the end of the week for, for a sit down for a lunch. He said, I thought you guys were just here to mess around, but actually you can run a little bit. I was like, that, that's quite a nice compliment from a, from a Kenyan run coach. I'm not sure if he was looking at me or, or at Skinny. But um, he said, yeah, tomorrow morning we'll start at nine o'clock and we have a, a fartlek session. Fartlek, in simple terms, is mixed speed. So it, it can really be a number of different mixed speeds, but you're going to do an effort. And instead of doing an effort and then resting or just walking, you're going to be doing an effort and continuing to run. So your recovery is still whilst running, which for some people probably sounds like an absolute nightmare. He said, we'll meet at half eight at St. Patrick's School, which was two kilometers from our hotel, and we'll go to the start, which was another three or four kilometers. So we're about five or six kilometers in, nice, easy running, easy pace-wise, but we could definitely feel the effects of, I think, the flight and also the altitude. It's, it's just harder. There's not, there, there's, you just don't get as much oxygen in. There's oxygen there. It's just not coming into your lungs as freely as it does at sea level. There's nothing to push it in with. So we get to the start and there's literally 20 runners, then 30 runners, then 40 runners. And before about three minutes to nine, I think I counted or estimated there was about 80 to 100 runners. A short, sort of a little bit angry man starts barking at the start of the weather the track obviously starts and he's talking in Swahili to a point where he says, foreigners, you're all welcome. If you want to make photos or videos, ask permission and then starts to get quite aggressive again in, in their native tongue. He then announces the session for the day and he says, one, one, 20, which doesn't take too long for Rob, Tom and I to figure out what we're doing. One minute hard, one minute easy, 20 times. It's just 40 minutes, but we know it's going to be absolute mayhem. And he says, get ready, three, two, one, and we're off. The first 30 seconds, sort of people just roll into it. And then you hear almost a war cry from the front and the dust that just plows up off this red carpet, just literally as a hundred people start to increase their speed, just gets thicker and thicker. And I was like, wow, this is it. And literally, we're straight to the bar. I was straight to the back because everyone's just taken off. I've got a few runners still with me. And I was like, wow. At the end of the first one, hardly able to breathe. My heart's exploding through my chest. I'm like, geez, we've got another 20 of these to go. And to be honest, most of our runs were quite like that. They weren't all super high intensity. We, we went for a few shorter runs with the guys. And on Wednesday evening, Brother Colum came to our hotel, and which we'd actually moved hotel by this stage. If, you, if you're going to go there, my recommendation is to stay in a place called Curio View Hotel. The, re the main reason that we moved is because the only real restaurant in the area that serves Western food, which we ate in a lot of the Kenyan restaurants. We ate probably once a day in a Kenyan restaurant, but at night, because we were running about 25k at threshold every single day, we wanted to make sure we had a good meal. And the main restaurant is in Curio View Hotel. So after two nights, we moved there. Brother Column comes in on Wednesday evening. And this is some of the things that I really picked up from him on as to why these guys are super successful. The first thing is, 
they actually enjoy running. They're super, super keen. They're quite athletic people and they really enjoy it. And one of the reasons why I believe that they enjoy it so much is because actually it's super fun. And Brother Colm said this, the way that running has changed a lot and sport has changed a lot. But if you think back to the 90s and early 2000s, no one had their own private coach. It was just groups of people going out for a run. He identifies that there is definitely a need, which is quite good, especially for us because we coach people. There is definitely a need for certain people to have their own coach, but they need to understand the fun part of running. And for the Kenyans, it's just a lot of fun. They run in groups the whole time. The second day that we were there, we went for a run with, with, with a big bunch and they were running easy. We were getting absolutely flogged, but it was a big group run, which breeds a lot of rhythm. And if running is anything, Anderhan Finn talks about it, as does Shane Benzi in both those books I mentioned earlier. If running is anything, it's rhythm. Sometimes rhythm is quite hard to keep on your own. And that's why, for the most part, if you can, one of the biggest takeaways and something actually that I learned from the books and I learned from my early days of running is that when we run in a pack, we actually become technically a lot better runners because we're almost forced to keep this rhythm. And when Ian sat with us on, on the Saturday before we left, he showed us some great videos of actually working on runner's rhythm, which is a super, super important part of it. Running in a group, and this is what Brother Colin was saying, is that running in a group with rhythm, feeling part of community, is the fun and the reason that makes these Kenyans so keen. The second thing is that life for these guys on the, on the most part, and for everyone around the world, I believe, I don't think it's too much different. We all, well, not everyone works hard, but life is quite hard. And so they have to work hard. They also know that if they do work hard, there's a good chance that this sport of running will be their life, will be their livelihood, will build them houses, will enable them to have families, to become educated, and the list goes on. So their work ethic is incredible. What they're willing to do and how hard they're willing to work is absolutely incredible. They will literally do pretty much, pretty much what they're told, <laughs> if that makes sense. I'm not sure if it's where that line, because I think some people, I think some coaches have pushed them to a point of overtraining where they've told them do more, do more, do more, and it's become detrimental to them. However, they are ready to work incredibly hard. But at the same time, they're also very good at relaxing. They're very good at do, doing nothing. It seems to me that they have a lot less distractions than we have. And it's quite an interesting period that they're in, I feel, as, and I think this is, from what I've seen in the African continent, I've only been to three or four countries, they've, they've fast skipped or they fast come to the age of 4G. 
having skipped a lot of the steps that came before it. And I'm interested to see how this might impact them over the next 10 to 15 years because a lot of them have never experienced television. They never had lined telephones, but they've been introduced over the last five to 10 years to 4G. So they now have access, money permitting, to pretty much everything that you have access to on the internet with the exception of a lot of the apps that bring delivery and all that kind of stuff. So traditionally, they haven't actually, outside of running and maybe some, some work or, or tending to crops, this kind of stuff, they haven't had a great deal to do and therefore their ability to switch off is actually super, well, it's super practiced. They don't, they're not going back and thinking about 101 different things and worrying about all different things like social media and who posted what and what comments were on and why they didn't like it and who unfollowed who. They don't have, currently, they don't have all of that in their life, which for me was actually super interesting because what this creates is high performance. And to me, high performance a lot is, is actually the ability to create singular focus. So these guys, once they finish training, they're able to relax. And when you're relaxing and your brain's not working at 100 miles an hour, worrying about who's followed and unfollowed who or, or what email's coming in, your body's actually able to invest the energy that it has into recovering. That's something that I think we're missing a lot. And in fact, those three things are something that we're missing a lot. And they're the three, they weren't, they, they're probably three of the most generic things that Brother Column told us. He told us some, some very specific things about different events, different Olympics they'd been to, different clinical trials that people had tried to do, a few of which I, I mentioned at the top of the show. But in my notes from day one, I wrote that running is rhythm. In my notes from day one, I wrote that running is fun. And always on my mind was what are these guys doing when they're not running and they're relaxing? So the three biggest takeaways are almost what Brother Column told us and what we kind of started to pick up on. And some of these things we're, we actually, and th this was one of the things, we wanted to bring things back to the inner fight community, to the inner fight endurance community to help runners run better. And if someone said to me, what did you learn how can I implement it? Firstly, running should be fun. And for it to be fun, it should definitely be quite strongly community-based. Interestingly enough, most of the runners out there, sorry, not most, but about 50% of the runners out there were not really wearing watches or they were sharing a Garmin. No one's wearing a heart rate monitor, which... The geeky side of Tom and Rob and the sports science side of us all kind of goes, oh, that's some data that we could actually use to get better. These guys don't use it. Interesting to note as well that we ran on our last day with a French Olympian. And for 15 years as an Olympian, he actually hadn't used heart rate at all either. It was his 13th trip to Iten. There's no Strava, there's no training peaks, and there's no real geeking out on data it's literally, a lot of it is based on feeling. And listening to Ian, that's one of the biggest things that he looks for in his athletes as well. The signs, 
similar to what I was talking about earlier that we try and look for in people, what's their body language doing? What's their eyes doing? What words are they saying? All of these signs, Ian was saying, is a lot better judgment of where someone's at effort-wise, recovery-wise, and mindset-wise than what Strava says or what, what your Garmin says, which I've actually, I actually fully support and agree with. And quite a few of my ultra runners, there'll come a day where they will say, uh, does heart rate matter anymore? And I'll literally say to them, no, not really. It's difficult because I think there's a progression, especially when we get runners that aren't, haven't been runners for a long time that don't know what easy is and don't know what hard is and to coach them efficiently online we definitely need that data but when a client's been with me for for a few years I'm actually not that bothered about heart rate data at all I'm more bothered about how a certain pace feels than anything else and and that really plows a lot back in into that fun aspect of it the second aspect is the hardship or the hard work which I think it's not really new to anyone and I won't spend too much time wrapping this point up, but if you want to get quite good at something, you have to work hard at it and hard work is not always, hard work in sport is always almost perceived as getting out there and absolutely flogging yourself and if you don't vomit in a session, then that wasn't a hard session. I've never seen hard work like that. I think it's a lot harder to eat super well, to have discipline around sleep, to spend some time each day just on your own thinking, call it reflection, call it meditation, call it mindfulness. It's a lot harder to do all of those things. Any, I can get any fool and flog them in a running session or on a rowing machine or, or in the gym. But the hard work really is everything outside of those sessions. So when you say people work incredibly hard, yes, you might see them, the evidence in their training might be that they're working super hard. But if you want success in running and, and also in life, then you need to be willing to work hard in those other areas until, maybe until that is not so hard anymore. Like I, I remember... So I think for some people, when they start waking up early to exercise, they find it hard, but then in the end, that bit becomes easy. But the message is clear that hard work is not just in training, it's 360 degrees of our life. And unless you're going to tune all of that in, your training is only one hour of the day or for, for these guys. I mean, we're running about, as I say, 25 Ks a day. But actually for, for that Frenchman that, that I spoke about, his training volume was only 15 hours a week, which is not huge, especially people that are doing Ironman triathlons. That's like almost a half week. It's a little bit more than a half week, but it's not a lot to say that you're an Olympic runner and that's your full-time job. A lot of people would be like, well, what do we do for the rest of the time? What you do for the rest of the time is the hard work. And I, I would love to encourage people to think about everything outside of training and how that working hard in those areas actually makes your chosen sport that much easier and you become so much better at it. And that final point there of sort of knowing how to relax is also, it, it comes into that hard work point in that how are we taking a break from this? Because the body and the mind can't be on 
the whole time. There has to be an understanding of if it says an easy day, it means an easy day. If it says sleep in, it means sleep in. And it doesn't mean go to bed late so you force to sleep in. It means still go to bed at eight o'clock but sleep till six so you're getting 10 hours as opposed to waking up at, I know, four 4.30 and you're only getting eight, eight and a half hours because these are the kind of real problems that we have you know you give someone a weekend off to relax and they end up staying up late going to the movies going out doing whatever they do so they're not actually relaxing and then as I also mentioned the relaxation of invasions into our life how are we trying to relax from those what kind of policies and procedures if you like do we have around how we manage into inbound communication be that laptop be that something like this a podcast like this messages social media no matter what it is how do we manage that because that is all a massive part of our relaxation so they were really and and that's why i focus on on those points because they were really the the biggest learnings if, if i could bring them back you know make it fun run with people run in rhythm don't stress too much about the data. You've got, you might have a coach. He's going to manage that data for you. Don't worry about it. If it's not going in the right direction, he or she will, will turn it into the right direction. If you don't have a coach, then yes, you can benchmark stuff. If it's running 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, ultra marathons, whatever it is, you can really use those as a benchmark. But I think really these people that we found, the Kenyans that we found in Kenya, they're generosity and their openness to us was something absolutely incredible and and a lot more open than we we ever thought that it would be if that makes sense i don't i didn't think that they'd be super close but i definitely didn't think you'd sort of be able to bowl up at six o'clock on the high street go up to a group of runners and they agree that you can run with them for you to later later find out that they run the marathon 205 it's kind of, they were just so, so welcoming. So if you, if you are planning on going there, a smile and, and a good morning and would you mind if I run with you is something that would be super welcome. If you are planning on going there to run, there is, if you're planning on going there to have a look around, then knock your socks off. If you're planning on going there to run and actually to spend a little bit of time running with these guys, as a benchmark, and I know this is perhaps contradictory of no data and, 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 and the fun part, but if you want to run with these guys, realistically, you need to probably be able to run 10K under 40 minutes. Otherwise, as soon as they start, you're just going to get absolutely blown out the back. Or on their easy run, you'll probably be with them. A moderate run on the Wednesday morning, it was 18K, and the front runners were running at 345 that was there 340 to 345 that was their sort of plan for that day given to them by the coach so i'm not saying you need to be able to run 20k at 345 pace but you definitely need to be able to run 10k under 40 minutes and then it's super straightforward get in the plane go out go and have a look mix with people say hello stay at curio view it's it's a super nice place and 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 really I think if you go looking for a secret or if you go with expectations of finding something out, then you'll probably be quite disappointed where if you just go there and roll with what happens, you'll 
probably have an absolutely amazing time, which in the six nights that we were there and the six days, or six and a half days that we were running with these guys, I think we probably had some of the best and most educational running of our life. Tom said at one point, you know, you, could, you can go to university, you can read all of the books, but coming here and learning from these guys is something absolutely incredible. A lot of people have asked me, will I go back? And the answer to that is yes. In what capacity, I'm unsure. I'm playing around with a few different ideas at the moment. There is a thought process to take a, a, a group of people from, from InnerFight, from our community over there to run a training camp with them. There's also a thought, I have quite a big race coming up in August of next year, which is also altitude. There's a thought of doing two to three weeks training over there. It's, there's not much else to do except run, so it helps you to, to, to sort of get that singular focus and just really, really work hard on, on the training. So that might be an option as well. And yeah, I, I would just go to spend more time running with these guys and, and learning. They're, they're so open. And even in the, in the time since we've been back, we've had some nice communication back and forward. They're such a, such a humble race and, and community of people. And I think once they realize that you're a runner and your only motive is to, is to be there to learn and to listen and to smile and to be friendly, they're, they're really quite open. So hopefully in 2022, there will be another trip. What that looks like, I'm not too sure. But there you have it. That's a wrap up of Iten 2021. I will put links to the two books that I mentioned, also to Tom's article and to my article. If this 40 minutes has made you want to read those articles as well, there's a lot more sort of detail in there as well of, of each individual run and, and some perhaps some reflections. I tried to make the show a little bit different so that if people have read the articles. It's not just a complete repeat. There is some crossover, but there's the learnings. There's the chat. Hopefully, we'll be back there in 2022. If you're an avid runner, sports fan, or even a fan of humanity, then it's definitely a place I would suggest to go. Thanks a lot for listening. I shall catch you next time. <laughs>